guys, Easter was awesome last week. We had uh, hundreds of people got saved. And uh, I just love Easter week, love what it brings about as far as fruit for the kingdom. One of the things that I do, it seems like when Easter comes around, those I just kind of think about the different things that really happened on that particular week. You know, you think about, you know, the triumphal entry of Palm Sun- Sunday. You think about uh, what Jesus must have went through that last week of ministry, as well as what happened in the upper room. And think about that for a second. So you're his disciples, you're his best friends. Uh, You have laid your life down, left your jobs, left your families to follow him and do ministry with him for three years. And you've seen him do all of these miracles, all of these incredible signs. And you have different thoughts and opinions in your mind of what was going to happen in the future. But he sets you down in a room to have his last meal with you and tells you what is going to happen. I mean, that to me is just mind-boggling. To think about these men listening to their Savior, the Son of God, tell them what he is getting ready to go through. It is mind-boggling. It is a crucial conversation that Jesus had to have with his disciples. He had to do it. He had to let them know. He knew what was coming. He knew the goal and, and knew the goal that was in mind. And he had to tell them and he had to be honest with them about what was to come. Now, crucial conversations are something that we have to have, hopefully, you know, on at least a weekly basis. Sometimes very small, but sometimes big. I mean, Jesus' was probably the most crucial conversation in history. But for us, sometimes they're little. I remember it was many years ago, and I went into a particular store that, that, uh, where they give out samples. And uh, there was this lady that I knew that was giving out samples. And so I went over, and she's like, oh, how are you doing? So good to see you. And I was like, good, good. And so, you know, I was actually there for the food, so I was trying to, you know, get to the food. And uh, um, then I looked up, and I noticed that she was wearing her shirt inside out. And I was like, oh. And it... And the really bad thing about it was that it had shoulder pads. Somebody needed to have a crucial conversation with her and tell her, your shirt's on inside out. You know, so sometimes it's little things like that, but then sometimes it's bigger stuff. But the truth is, is we all have to have crucial conversations and we have to have them sometimes with our family, sometimes uh, with coworkers, sometimes with friends, if we want to have healthy relationships. But a lot of times we look at crucial conversations and we avoid them because it feels like conflict. And sometimes, to be honest, it is. But what is it? What is it about those crucial conversations that makes them different from normal conversations? Well, let me show you this little graphic here. With a crucial conversation, there's three elements. The first element that we see is opposing opinions. So usually if it's a crucial conversation, the people that are involved in the conversation don't necessarily agree. There's opposing opinions when it comes to what needs to be talked about. The other element is strong emotions. Right? Could you imagine the emotions that were in the upper room? Can you imagine the opposing opinions of those disciples? Because understand, each one of them thought, well, I think Jesus is going to go on and do this. And I think when he does this, then I will do this. And if he sets himself up as king over Israel, then I'm going to play this role for his government. And So they, they, they had all these opinions. They had all these strong emotions because the person that they laid their life down for was getting ready to die. And then the next element that we see a lot with crucial conversations is that there are high stakes involved. 
men in the upper room, there weren't any higher stakes in history than what was going to be talked about in that room. And so for us, I think that a lot of times we avoid the crucial conversations, even though they need to happen, because of those things. Man, I don't want to really go in and talk. nobody, I don't know if they're going to agree with me. And I know everybody has different ideas. And we're dealing with some really, really high-stake issues. So the emotions are really high. So we avoid them. Through the last couple of months, we've talked about uh, different personality types uh, and how those personality types will work. And understand that it doesn't doesn't matter what personality type you are, you will usually not enjoy crucial conversations. If you're a sanguine, you're the people person, you love to talk, but you love to talk about fun stuff. So in a crucial conversation, you won't ever get to the sticking points of the issue, right? You'll just talk about the fun stuff. You'll just talk about the good things, and then you'll just kind of sweep the other stuff under under the rug. If you're a melancholy, most of the time because you're more introverted, you'll want to avoid the conversation because in reality, nothing's really going to come about uh, by having the conversation. It's not going to be done right anyway unless you do it. Okay, so that's kind of what a melancholy would think. A phlegmatic will want to escape the conversation altogether. You will just go, I just want peace, strong emotions. Oh, okay, can't do that. So we'll avoid it. Now, a cleric, you might go, well, clerics are more suited for that, and maybe that's the case, but a cleric usually doesn't like conflict either and usually will go about it in the wrong way. They will just want the conflict resolved as soon as possible. Been in meetings before with uh, clerics that uh, some issue came up, and they immediately grab the phone and says, what's their number? We'll call them right now. We're going to fix it right now. And they don't really pray beforehand. They don't really get ready for the conversation beforehand. So all of those personality types really don't necessarily like crucial conversations for many different reasons. But how we react in those moments can have a long-lasting effect on us. It can have an effect on our trust, how we trust the person, how they trust us, depending on how the conversation goes. Our influence. If things don't go good in that crucial conversation, we probably will struggle with being able to influence that person in the future. Respect. If the conversation is not handled right, the respect level could go down, or it could go up. Trust could go up. Influence could go up. Maybe resentment could happen as a result of that crucial conversation. Or maybe it's an issue. Maybe you were in the workforce, and one of the things that you were over is just the safety of the company and making sure that people are safe there. Within that crucial conversation, the safety factor in your company could go up, Or it could go down, depending on how you handle it. But I want you right now just to think about a name. Think of someone that you need to have a crucial conversation with. Didn't take long to think of that person, did it? Family member? A co-worker? Maybe Maybe it's a boss? And you know you need to do it, but you just haven't done it yet because you're avoiding it. And understand, this is normal. The challenge, though, is how we react to it. The first principle of a crucial conversation, man, this is the big idea we have to understand, is that anytime you find yourself stuck with a chronic problem with a relationship, stop and ask, what crucial conversation are we not holding or not holding well? That's huge. We have to ask ourselves the question. Because in life, give me my little stick diagram, we are going to go through uh, situations where we have a goal or a mission that we need to get to. Sometimes small, sometimes big. As small as I just needed to tell that lady, you're sure it's inside out, so she could fix it. Very small. 
to something big. Maybe it's an organizational, uh, uh, organizational situation that will change the direction of your company. Maybe your family has become toxic. And so the goal or mission that you have in life for, that, for your family is that you will have peace and there won't be strife in your home. When conversations turn from casual to crucial, the irony is when it matters most, we tend to do our worst. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> we, oh man, I mean, I, you can see somebody, they're a great communicator on the platform. Woo! They're a great communicator with a lot of people. But you get them one-on-one, they're horrible. They're horrible. I've seen that. I had a pastor that I grew up with uh, in, in um, uh, Louisiana. I had to remember. It's been so long. Gosh. Louisiana. And uh, this guy was an unbelievable speaker and could just motivate and do such a great job with thousands of people. But, man, one-on-one, he struggled. He struggled. And I think with each one of our personality types, if we're not careful, when we get into those intimate settings of crucial conversations, we can struggle. We, we tend to do our worst. Maybe, the, maybe we go in emotional. Maybe we go in and we overreact. Maybe what we, uh, how we react isn't proportionate to what is being talked to us about. And so sometimes when those happen, we, just, we don't tend to be at our best. Now, I want you to remember the person that I asked you about before. And I want you to ask yourself the question, how is this affecting your behavior with the person? Because it's going to affect it in some way. Can you think of an example of how you are reacting differently towards that person because of the concerns you have with them? Of course. Do you avoid them? Do you just not want to talk to them? Do you avoid eye contact when you're with them? Have you made administrative decisions to where they don't have to be in your life as much? Maybe you're avoiding your own kids (laughs) because you just don't want to talk to them about their issues. But you have to see how it's affecting your behavior. Can you see how how you're behaving isn't helping the matter? That's the thing. Usually because of our non-conversation, it's affecting the relationship worse. Give me the next diagram. So if, if we're on this side and our goal or a mission is on the other side, what sometimes we can see is this chasm. And we see that chasm, that canyon, as a crucial conversation. And man, we avoid it. But we know to get where we need to go, we need to have it. Now, it's normal. And there is a God-ordained purpose to every crucial conversation that we're in. But we have a choice. We have a choice when it comes to those. Number one, you can talk it out. You can have that crucial conversation for better or worse, but you're going to have it. But if you don't do number one, you will automatically do number two. You will act it out. You're going to act it out. If you don't fix it one-on-one, you're going to act it out. That resentment's going to build, that frustration's going to build, to one day you're going to blow and that person's going to look at you and go, where did that come from? (laughs) Are you kidding me? You've been frustrated this long and we haven't been able to talk about it? If you don't talk it out, you're going to act it out. It will show up in behavior and that will provoke behavior in response. As time goes on with unresolved crucial conversation, the acting out only gets worse. The more you delay it, the worse it's going to get. 
Now, it's interesting, and there's, there's this myth out there that we're going to expose in a second, but I want to show you a video of a social experiment that was done by an elementary-age kid that's pretty cool. Watch this. So have you ever noticed that you'll get into meetings or these crucial conversations and uh, stuff is brought up and maybe it's about marketing or it's about sales or it's about what you're, what you're trying to market and nobody wants to admit that the brownie sucks, right? <laughs> nobody wants to admit that it, it's, it tastes bad, it's bad because of, of the feelings that you might hurt within the room. The point is here is that about at the, at the, at about the age three, we begin to believe a myth. The myth is that we have to choose between telling the truth and keeping a friend. We, we learn that at a very young age. We think to keep friends, we have to compromise truth. Now listen to this. You can measure the health of your family, of your team, of your organization, by measuring the undiscussables. How many undiscussables do you have in your family? How many undiscussables do you have in your workplace? The number of things that we believe that you just, you just can't talk about. For, for the workplace, maybe, maybe your boss is checked out. And nobody wants to talk to him about it. He's gone through something. It's just caused him not to engage and it's hurting the whole company. And nobody wants to tell him the truth. Maybe it's within your family and you're, and you're afraid that one of your kids is using drugs, but you're so afraid of having that crucial conversation because you don't even want to find out the truth. Or maybe it's with friends. Maybe you have some friends within your circle that just make you feel uncomfortable with the way they act or, or things that they're doing. If your organization or your family has a bunch of undiscussables in it, it's never going to be really healthy. I mean, I, I've seen families before, man, that they, they, everything is just locked up in a vault. And they never talk. They never discuss. They never really go into their feelings. They never talk about their problems because they feel like they have to, 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 to portray a certain image. And they don't really want to, to show vulnerability. And so those families, those families that are that way are the most toxic. They're the ones that are, are the least intimate. They're the ones that never really, really get close because of all of those secrets. So what we need to do is we need to look at our crucial conversations differently. Show me my next little illustration there. <clears throat> instead of a chasm, instead of a, a canyon, we need to look at our crucial conversations as steps. Steps that are going to get us to that goal or that mission. Wherever we want to be, we need to look at the, the conversations that need to happen so that we get there. They are either a pit that can keep, keep us stuck or a path that propels us towards the goal. The truth is that crucial conversations can be an accelerator for intimacy. The very thing that we fear in that we're going to lose a friend when we tell them the truth is exactly the opposite of what can happen. I mean, when you can sit down and you can really have a heart-to-heart -heart conversation with somebody and you can tell them the truth and as according to scripture, the truth with love, you will be amazing what that can do to the intimacy in your relationship. We don't walk around the truth. Instead, you, you work through it. And if we can candidly work through things, it is a trust accelerant. It's like adding gasoline to a fire. In many situations, though, it's just hard for us to share what we call the last 2%. You ever heard of that term before? 
Usually when you go into a conversation, a crucial conversation, you have a list of things that you want to tell the person or that you need to talk to the person about. And most of the time, you'll share 90% of it, 95% of it, maybe even 98% of it. But you won't share the 2% because the 2% is the 2% that stings. The 2% is the 2% that, that kind of hurts. But understand, it's the 2% that will cause a person to change. Now, when it comes to that situation, because it doesn't matter what kind of personality you are, you want to avoid the 2%. So how do, you, how, do you, how, do you, how do you make sure that you tell 100% of the truth? Well, here's, here's a technique. When you go into the meeting, you write an agenda of everything that you want to talk to them about when you sit down. And then you slide a copy over to them in the meeting. Ooh, <laughs> that holds you to the last 2%. But you got to make sure if you do that, that God is calling you to do it. Because you don't want to get trapped. But I know how sometimes conversations can go. They start off good, everything's good, everything's going good. And then you just kind of go, oh, we don't need to cover the last 2%. I'll take that back. Right? But it's the last 2% that's causing the issue. It's the last 2% that's causing the problem. Proverbs 28, 23 says, He who rebukes a man will, end, will in the end gain more favor than he who has a flattering tongue. That's, Solomon says that because it's so true. This is the essential, it's essential to the, a healthy core. A healthy core in your family, a healthy core in your business. And leaders must identify the two or three crucial conversations that are directly affecting their mission or where you want to go. And the Bible is filled with crucial conversations. God with Adam and Eve. God with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. God with Moses. Moses with Pharaoh. Moses and Aaron and Miriam. Jethro and Moses. Not to mention every conversation Christ had in the Gospels. David with Jonathan. Jonathan with David. Nathan with David. Those are all crucial conversations that had to happen. That changed history. And they're still being written about today. But how well, you have crucial, uh, how well you have those crucial conversations can affect your health. It can, it can affect how you feel. If you carry a burden around enough, it will begin to affect you physically. Your teamwork, your productivity, your diversity, your quality, maybe safety issues like we talked about, or maybe your marriage success. A lot of times I think we, we listen to messages like this and we kind of think, well, yeah, I could definitely see how that worked in my family. I definitely see how that could work in my job. But, but in my marriage, really? A lot of people don't think that, 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 that this is an issue within their relationship. But if you're going to have intimacy in your marriage, you have to have crucial conversations. Can't tell you the amount of people that I've, that I've worked with in, in ministry through their marriage. And almost always communication is number one issue in their issue, in their, with their issues. They just, they, they don't talk. Or there's a problem that could be fixed, but the other person doesn't know it because they, they're just afraid to talk about it. Dealt with people before, and I had this one individual, and uh, um, he was talking to me just about how they were struggling, their marriage was struggling in the bedroom. And that how his wife, and know that this, this story is, is very, very common across the board, but the wife felt like sex was dirty. She had uh, 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 had sex, uh, was taken advantage of when she was younger. And so she just, means she didn't care for it. And it just, she didn't like it. And it, it made her feel bad about herself. And, and I said, well, so what are you doing? And he's like, well, we don't, we just don't have sex. For how long? 
Well, I, I don't know. I mean, maybe, maybe once every couple of months. And I'm like, dude, you, you can't go on like that. If, if sex is the number one need for 95% of the, of the men in this world and your wife isn't providing that for you, then how are you ever going to get intimacy that you need? And what's, gonna, what's not going to cause you to go look, look for that somewhere else? But I just can't hurt her feelings. I just can't talk to her about it. So you can either have a crucial conversation, it could get better, or you can leave it the way it is. And a lot of times, guys, with marriage, the issues that we have, we just, we need to talk about them. We just need to be honest. And I'm going to give you some communication skills here in a second to be able to do it and do it in a peaceable way. This is a really funny uh, ad that was found in a, in a nickel ad somewhere. It was, it was an ad for a motorcycle. And the guy wrote, this bike is perfect. It has 1,000 miles with a 500-mile dealer service, which is expensive, I might add. It's been adult-ridden. All wheels have always been on the ground. I use it as a cruiser commuter. I'm selling it because it was purchased without the loving consent of my wife. Apparently, do whatever you want doesn't mean what I thought. (laughs) Crucial conversation right there. Probably needed to happen. So here's some ingredients in creating safety in a crucial conversation. Here's some ways that we can make sure that this conversation goes as well as it possibly can go. First of all, you've got to do a few things beforehand. Number one, and I hope you're writing this down, pray that God gives you the words, wisdom, and opportunity. Ooh, that's huge. Because if God gives you the words, you're going to say the right thing. If he gives you the wisdom, you're going to think it through before you go into the conversation. And then the opportunity. They have to be ready, right? They have to be ready if they're really going to receive it. So pray that first. Secondly, pray that God binds you to his truth, love, and peace. And we get that from Ephesians 4.15. Lord, bind me to the truth in this situation. That Oh, this is huge. Because as an employer, how many times have you sat down with an employee and you know they're not telling you the truth? How many times do you sit down with your kids and you're like, come on, really? So if you ask God to bind them to your truth, you're going to have discernment. So you're going to know the truth about the situation. Bind them to your love because you're going to need love when you're talking to that person. And peace, that there'll be peace in that room and not, and not just strife. Thirdly, pray that God would give you favor with the person. Favor. God will give you favor with people. That you shouldn't have. It's just miraculous what he'll do if you'll ask for it. And then I'm going to add one to this. Then pray that God would make the person teachable. Oh, that's a lost art. Pray that God would soften their heart. Pray that God, that, that God would make them teachable so you can have the conversation. The Bible says in Proverbs 16, 7, When a man's ways are pleasing to the Lord, he makes even his enemies live at peace with him. I've seen that firsthand sat down with people that I knew were my enemies, and before it was over, God had turned their heart. That's just the way he is. Then the first three minutes of the conversation are the most crucial. This is where you're going to be able to determine whether they're going to, they have a chance to listen to you or not. And this is point five, which is point four here. But point five is you have to convey mutual purpose. You have to be able to tell the person, I care about your goals. So, hey, in this organization, uh, I, know that, I know that, man, you have, the, your future is so bright here. 
And I can see how you could really, really move up the ladder here. Or maybe, you know, maybe you're wanting to do this for yourself someday. And so I can definitely see how that would happen. And man, I'm, I'm your biggest fan. I am your biggest cheerleader. So convey that you care about their goals. And then secondly, you need to convey mutual respect. This is where you tell the person that you care about them. I care about you. I care about your future. I, I, I mean, I love you. I love your family. And, and I want the best for you. I mentioned earlier that when Jesus was in the upper room, he had the most crucial conversation in history. And he said to the disciples, and it's, it's interesting, before he starts to talk to them, he kicks the traitor out of the room. I heard somebody say earlier, well, what if you have that conversation and they don't change? What if you have that conversation and they're just not teachable, okay? There are people that are that way. They're not teachable. And for those people that won't change, for those people that you can't have a good conversation with, then you need to set up boundaries. That's a whole other message, okay? It's, you need to set up boundaries with them. This was Jesus setting up boundaries with Judas. I know you're going to betray me. Get out of the room. And then he says this to those that he really loved and that loved him. And I, he loved Judas too, don't get me wrong. He says this, oh man, when do you have to, when, how old do you have to be to go to large print? <laughs> Woo! I'm going to have to have somebody read this for me. As soon as Judas left the room, Jesus says, the time has come for me, the Son of Man, to enter, enter into my glory. And God will receive glory because of all that happens to me. And God will bring me into the glory very soon. Dear children, notice he calls them his kids. I love that. How brief are these moments before I must go away and leave you? Then, though you search for me, you cannot come to me. Just as I told, uh, just as I told the Jewish leaders. So now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. So I conveys love. You should love each other. Uh, 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 you, should love, you should love each other. You love, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Then he talks about Peter and how Peter's going to betray him. Then he says in chapter 14, don't be troubled. So this is where he talks about he's concerned about their future. You trust God now. Uh, you trust God now. Trust in me. There are many rooms in my father's home. And I am going to prepare a place for you. If this were not so, I would tell you plainly, when everything is ready, I'll come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am and you know where I am going and how to get there. So Jesus, in this crucial conversation where he's having to tell his best friends, I'm going to die. Make sure that they know how much he loves them and that they should love each other and that he is concerned about their future. And he knows what their future is. I love that. If you do these things, you will have a 97% chance that the person will hear you. That doesn't mean they're going to agree with you. That doesn't mean that they'll listen to you. But they'll hear you. And that's our responsibility, to do our best to be able to get the person to hear us. 
Candor is never the problem. Have you ever noticed that? Candor is not the problem. People never become defensive about what you were saying. People become defensive because of why they think you're saying it and how you say it. That's everything. It's the intent, not the content. So let me give you some examples here of uh, of what I'm talking about. Let's say from kind of a, a small issue, let's say you're a wife and you are sick and tired of picking up your husband's junk. You're just done with it, right? And you want to have a crucial conversation with them in truth and love now. What, what, what do most couples do? Most of the time, the wife will go, Was you, are you kidding me? The hamper, that's the hamper. Your sock is there. Are you that lazy that you can't pick a sock up from there or go to there? Or, or toilet paper, put it on the dispenser, voila, right? That's usually how we deal with those crucial conversations. But what if you did this, ladies? What if you went to your husband and said, hey, honey, can I talk to you real quick about something? And understand, you've already prayed up. You've already asked for God's wisdom. You've always already asked that he be, he'd be teachable, Okay. But if what do you sit down with him and say, hey, look, can I, can I talk to you about something real quick? Sure. What, what, do, you, what do you need? Well, for, first of all, I, I just want to tell you, I'm really proud of, of what you're doing at work. I, and I am, I, one of the things that I love about you is your passion for what you do. And so I love you. I just want to tell you that. And, and, and secondly, you know what? I want our marriage to go to the next level. I want us to have time for us to be able to date. I want us to have time to be able to recreate together and go out and have a good time. Oh, yeah, me too. Well, one of the things that would really help if you, to do those things is if, if you could just help me around the house a little bit. And it, like if you could do, just for instance, if you could do the dishes, you know, after, after dinner, or if you, could, if you could just pick up your clothes, I mean, it would give us a lot more opportunity to be able to do those things. How well received is that going to be versus, would you pick it up? Sick of it. Right? I guarantee you, you have a way better chance of getting the results you want from having a conversation like that instead of, uh, of being combative in the relationship. Now, that's something that's, that's little, right? That's, that should be simple. But what about the bigger stuff? It doesn't matter how big the conversation if you will do these steps in advance, it will set you up for the best success rate that you can possibly have as you speak to that person. And pray, that, pray for an opportunity. Pray for the, 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 that you would speak in truth and love. Pray that you'd have wisdom. Pray that they would be teachable. Look for that right opportunity, man. And when you sit down with them, convey that you love them, convey that you respect them. And it will change the game for you. So let's pray together as we leave. Lord, we love you. And we all know and have identified in our mind the crucial conversations that we need to have. Some of them are small, but some of them are big. And Lord, I feel like there's some parents in this room this morning that need to have some crucial conversations with their kids. Lord, they're afraid that their kids are having sex. And they're afraid that how they deal with it could cause them to run further into that person's arms that they're having sex with. Lord, I pray that that crucial conversation would happen because these are the, this is the souls of our children we're talking about. So give us the boldness. Lord, help us to 
to, to just have the truth as we go into the situation. Just bind us to your wisdom. Help our kids to be teachable. For some of us, we need to have a, we need to have a conversation with our boss. We're dying financially, and if we don't get a raise soon, we're not going to make it. So we need to go in, and we need to have a crucial conversation. We need to do it in a non-confronted way, Lord. We, we need to do it in a way that's filled with truth and love. So I pray, Lord, that you would help us to be able to do that. Every one of us has a goal and mission in life, and Lord, you knit us together with a purpose. So I pray that there would not be one hard conversation that would keep us from getting to where you would want us to be. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.